And I think that's something that architects are really good at, right, is just asking what if. And then sometimes being able to actually accomplish the what if, um, the dreams that, that people have and, and make things fit them, fit their personality, fit the way they live much differently than the tract houses that most of us live in or, or most people live in, because those are built for everybody, right? And so they're kind of built based around the rules of the lowest common denominator. Everybody needs to check these boxes. We need this many bedrooms. We need this many bathrooms. We need, you know, do we need the office or the third car garage? so on and so forth. I think uh, as soon as people kind of get out of the mindset of the checking the boxes and they start to create spaces that have meaning to their life, then they really start to understand what architecture can do for them. Welcome to the Speak podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to episode 79 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Arcaspeak is sponsored by ArcCat. Visit them at arcat.com. And we're also sponsored by the Architecture Business Plan Competition. And we'll uh, talk a little bit more about each of those later on in the show. But first up, we have some uh, some viewer feedback, actually. All right. So we got an email from Katie Kangas, and she has been listening to the show and taking AREs. And as of about the middle of last year, she finished up taking all those tests. And now she's just finishing up some CA work, it sounds like, to uh, finish IDP so that she can actually call herself an architect. But she asked a really good question. And this is something that I think all of us have a little bit different experience with. So the real point of her message, as she says, is that she wants to know what our thoughts are on doing their own house projects, either designing, building, or remodeling. I think we all have, like I said, kind of a different take on this one and... Neil, you've you've gone the full the full depth. You wanna you wanna start out? I have done uh, something I never thought I w- would do. Something I never anticipated or even really wanted to do. I really didn't want to do <laughs> something you'll never this. do again. Um, <laughs> yes, I will never do this again. Um, actually, it makes me question what I do for other people because they. Um, I do a lot of remodeling and new additions and things like that. And so I've been through that hell and um, I often wonder, I I sympathize with my clients because they're going through the same thing, but uh, (laughs) that's what, that's the new uh, tagline for architecture, putting people through hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, remodeling, especially in the scope that I did where we went down to the foundation and and started over and built a two-story house instead of a single story. It's it's quite an undertaking, and um, it, it's one that 
even though I had been doing uh, residential work and just architecture in general for many years at that point, um, there were just so many things that go into dealing with your own house um, and um, all the things you really kind of don't think about. I mean, right down to the doorknobs and, you know, which doors get locks, which doors don't. Um, I mean, just so many things to deal with that uh, it, it is very overwhelming uh, and it, it's quite an undertaking. Well, what did, what started you on this path? I mean, wh- why did you decide to take us back? Design, design, and build your own home instead okay. of right. buying a buying a move-in ready. Right. Um, in our case, it really kind of came down to location. Um, I like the neighborhood I'm in, um, my neighbors, and uh, I didn't really want to. Um, move to a different area of town and and buy a bigger house. So the lot was large enough that uh, we decided to, um, to do, you know, to do the larger addition. Um, The reasoning was, is that uh, when I bought the house originally, um, it was a small house, about 900 square feet with two bedrooms and one bathroom. And uh, after I got married and then we had two children, um, that was getting a little uh, tight. So just a uh, little, right? Yeah, just a whatever. little yeah. <laughs> whatever. So, uh, so the, the so the idea was we we actually had uh, two potential plans one was a smaller uh remodel that um didn't really have much uh, addition other than to um eat up the garage space um, and turn it into a master bedroom and then do a detached garage which looking back on it as the economy completely fell apart while I was under construction and I lost my job so that was real fun um looking back I I kind of wish we had done that uh because the cost would have been um far less than the cost that uh, I'm having to deal with now and pay for so um you know, looking back, I wish I had done things maybe a little bit differently. But uh, at the time, you know, we were able to afford what we did. And, um, you know, we've managed to keep it. So uh, I, I guess that's, uh, you know, we've, we've, done, we've done well. But um, so, I, so that's why we did what we did. And we added enough space for the kids to have their own rooms and for, um, you know, to have another bathroom and, an, and actually an office that has been uh, my office for seven years on it that I've had my own practice. So, um, that's all worked out pretty well. So that's why I, that's why we did what we did. Um, but as Katie, or as I pointed out to, uh, Katie, when I responded to her that, um, it, it's, um, it, there's a lot of satisfaction in all the things that went right. Um, but there are, um, tons of mistakes and little imperfections or, or, downright uh, uh, screw-ups in construction that bug me every day. Um, As the years have gone on, i kind of forgotten about most of them or some of them. But there's definitely times I go, ah, you know, for the most part, I don't like... It's not the design. I I think for the most part, I try to anticipate everything. Um, But like, uh, for instance, um, I used to put... or I I would put... um, since we're just past the holidays, I would hang lights from my eaves. And so I had an electrical outlet installed underneath the, um, the eave and so that I could plug the lights in. And that's all hooked up to a switch that's inside at the entry. So, um, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. Okay, I, I get this all planned out, right? And so like the first, first Christmas we're in the house, my wife decides to go out and buy some lawn uh, lights, 
you know, some things that, you know, kind of uh, not the, not the full on deers and Santas and those kind of things. But uh, these were just some just nice, elegant looking trees that lit up, lit up at night. And we were like, oh, crap. <laughs> you didn't have a I never did outlet. that before. So I didn't anticipate it. So I was like, God darn it. <laughs> um, and so like every holiday now, it's like, Damn it. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a way around it. There is an There's a get off my lawn joke in here somewhere. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, that was what he bought. That was the lights. Yeah. <laughs> Spelled out, get off my lawn. That would be good. It's a big but it wasn't lit just... because he didn't have an outlet. <laughs> well, it didn't have a convenient outlet. Let's put it that way. Yeah. If I knew we were going to do this, I would have put in, I would have had some outlets out front. So that... you're saying you still have to deal with all the things that we all have to deal with. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, even though you designed it all, yeah, I, I tried. You know, I, I tried really hard to anticipate uh, everything in the house, and um, I mean, because the the advantage, one of the advantages that I had was, um, I think we had all of the exist, pretty much all of our furniture we already owned and had. So as I designed it. I basically designed it around all of like our beds and the, you know, bookcases and different things. It, whatever we had furniture wise, I made the house fit and work with all of it. And, um, and so that was, you know, I mean, these are all things that you can do that are great. I mean, as um, the fact that like my whole house is wired with, you know, Cat 6A wiring and every computer. You know, anything that is not a mobile device is actually plugged in. It's it's all, you know, I'm a kind of a, a geek nerd like that. So, like, every device, wi none of it's on Wi-Fi, just the mobile devices. So those are, you know, all the things I tried to do. And uh, so those are, those are great because as you go around the house, you know, everything that you tried to anticipate worked and it's there and it's done. Um, but... Again, all the uh, all the fears that you might have uh, about any mistakes you might make, or and um, it's it's really just um, those things do kind of get at you for a while, or, or maybe things you couldn't afford to do quite right the way you wanted, um, and um, you know, so those things can can really kind of drive you crazy. The other thing Katie also brought up was um, uh, she talked about uh, resale of of a house. And in and in my case, um, I didn't really care. Didn't because, matter, right? No, I'm not going. I'm going to die in this house. So, uh, uh, so long as I can still make it up the stairs, and if I can't, there's a bedroom downstairs. So maybe that's where I'll move when I get old. But uh, I mean, the, you mean now? What's that? You mean <laughs> like, <now>? Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> so I, I just think that in in our in my case, now I didn't do any sort of ultra high end, you know, ultra modern type of house that would kind of wouldn't fit in with the neighborhood. My house is kind of a Mediterranean, it is a Mediterranean style and it, it fits in well with the neighborhood and it doesn't really stand out. So I don't think that necessarily hurts my resale. But one of the interesting things was my real estate agent that originally helped me buy the house um, and helped me do some of the financing for uh, the remodel. Um, he, when he, when I showed him the plan, he kind of questioned the way I had orientated the, uh, the entry. And, um, he's like, well, you know, you, you shouldn't do this. And, you know, it's better if you have the entry open into this, you know, a bigger space and blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, uh, no, I'm not going to do it that way. And, uh, the nice thing was, is after, um, 
after the house was built and we invited him over and he, he walked in and he saw how it all laid out and in, in real, instead of just like looking at a sheet of paper, he liked it. And he said, yeah, no, that this, this worked. So, um, so I, I mean, really what that tells me is that uh, for anybody, any of our listeners, you know, go with, uh, go, go with what you feel is right. You know, as far as the design goes. And if it's, if it's not something that, you know, is going to sell, Later on, I mean, if it's the house that you want um, and you're going to be there for a while, then, you know, who cares? And if you feel like you have enough uh, exterior outlets, you don't. (laughs) Add another one. (laughs) Just make sure they're hooked to a switch on the inside of the house for for those lights (laughs) in the front and the back, wherever they may be. Yeah, I think the comment about the not wanting, you know, the her uncle who managed the bank said he never wanted to lend money to architects who are building their own house because it has poor resale value is right is just it's one of those comments that is just that person's point of view right because if if you look at there are lots of houses designed by architects that have way more value than they did when when they were built i think the first house that i really saw when i was in school that i thought the architect designed it for himself it was only ever going to be his house, and it turned it turned me on to what residential architecture could be. Was Ray Cappy's house? He came and lectured, and he was one of the founders of of our school, and and then he went on to found SciArc as well. And if you, I'll paste a I'll paste a link for you guys to check it out, and then maybe Neil, you could include some of these pictures into the show notes, but sure. or one of them. Um, but it's just like a treehouse that it's not it's not like a treehouse but it's 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 beautiful and i just thought this is where an architect can make a, a difference for themselves and and for me who i've never built a house but i've remodeled extensively it's really satisfying for someone to come into a house with no expectations and you just see them like you see their jaw drop because it's like whoa this is amazing or you've done something really cool here, or you've done something really valuable here. And I and I felt like that was kind of the first sense that I had, because when I went into architecture school, I, I didn't know what architecture was really about. And we had to unlearn a lot of things that we had learned throughout our whole um, adolescence and upbringing and everything. And for me to, to just kind of have my eyes open to that, that was just one of those first times where it it just really impacted me. And what I was able to do with my house that, that I owned and remodeling, you know, gutting the whole interior and putting in floating soffit ceilings and uplighting. And I did a pool in the backyard and I, I tore walls out and I, I opened it all up into a big space. And, and to see people ha- kind of have an expectation before they walk in the door and then to see that completely change once they walk through the door is incredibly satisfying for me because I I feel like at that moment they get it and they didn't think it was possible. And, and I think that's something that architects are really good at, right? Is just asking what if, um, and then sometimes being able to actually accomplish the, what if, um, the dreams that, that people have and, and make things fit them, fit their personality, fit the way they live much differently than the, the tract houses that most of us live in or, or most people live in. Um, because, because those are built for everybody, right? And so they're kind of built based around the rules of the lowest common denominator. Everybody needs to check these boxes. We need this many bedrooms. We need this many bathrooms. We need, you know, do we need the office or the third car garage? 
so on and so forth. I think uh, as soon as people kind of get out of the mindset of the the checking the boxes and they start to create spaces that have meaning to their life, then they really um, start to understand what architecture can do for them. And so if you look through the pictures of that, and every time I look at it, I mean, it's it's an old house. It was done in the 70s, I think, and it, and it still just seems just wonderful to me. Um, and there's lots of examples of those kinds of architecture. But the other thing I'll say about remodeling houses is you, and, and you do a lot of the work yourself, is, and I don't know if you guys did any on your house, Neil, but you really learn what you don't like to do. <laughs> I, I will never roof a house again. I will never, you know, there's several things like that. I hate doing drywall. I hate painting. Um, I, I laid a lot of tile. I, I did plumbing. I did electrical. I did everything that I could possibly do. I did a lot of fa- custom fabrication, you know, metal and wood. And I always, I always look back on it and I think, well, I would do that part again, but man, I will never do that again, that, that particular trade or task or something like that. And I will totally pay for someone to do that. I screamed and yelled at all the different people that you just mentioned that do those different things. <laughs> <laughs> you? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, I will say um, I didn't do a lot of the building on this house, but uh, anything I could do, um, you know, I cleared the cleared the yards. I, you know, did a did a lot of picking up and clearing and cleaning up, and you know, um, just just everything I could do. Uh, and then at some point uh, after my general uh, quit and left. Actually, he kind of left me high and dry and stole some money from me. You know, good times. So nice. um, I took over the whole project and had to finish it, managing it myself. So um, I don't like doing that. <laughs> you know, that's a, that actually is interesting because then that leads to, you know, she was asking about designing, you know, would you ever want to design your own home? And everybody, you know, has some form or fashion. They start thinking about when they move into a house and they think about, you know, what can I do with this or what can I do there? Or or like what you did is, you know, level it and start over and and go up with it. And, and, but Evan, you know, um, you brought up an interesting thing that architects like to do. And that's basically act as their own general contractor. Right. And in some cases act as their own builder and do all of the work themselves um, contract the work themselves and things like that. So, you know, that, that takes it to a completely different level of insanity in a way yeah. or not insanity, but it, <laughs> not in a way full insanity because, you know, we know that we know what it's like to design houses for people um, or, you know, just design for yourself. And, you know, in a way that it's a little bit different and a little bit more challenging because, you're trying to more or less do your best work, you know, even if it is, you know, Neil fitting within the character of, of the neighborhood. I mean, I bet there's something about your house that's different, that's special, that kind of makes it stand out amongst its peers because, you know, it was your house, you know, sure. you were the architect and you, you put that extra little love into it. Well, I, I think there's, there's two things, um, when it comes to, do you want to design your own house? I think there's the, um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, just apprehension or just fear of, 
I could do anything, right? I mean, if you're just designing a house, right, you could do anything you want. And there's definitely that paralyzing, like, uh, what am I, what would I do, right? It, I love the saying, you can do anything you want, you just can't do everything you want. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think there's also, I mean, when it came down to doing my house, even though I did start over, I had an existing foundation. I had, uh, you know, perimeter, a perimeter foundation that, that really kind of restricted on what I could do and, um, and what I could do with the, the feet and, you know, literally down to the inches, um, in, in every room, uh, that I had to account for. And so, um, those constraints actually, I think were, were very helpful because, um, you know, that, that's what architects do is they, we solve these, we solve problems. And my problem was how do I, um, you know, how do I make, uh, the house for all of us work with all of the design criteria, the program that we had within the space that, that was given and what compromises I had to do or, or not do, um, you know, to, to make it all work in addition to how can I afford all of this? Yeah. Yeah, when I was when I was doing it, I had pretty recently bought the house and I was doing design build at the time. So I think that, you know, one of the other major factors if you're going to do it yourself, like you're talking about Cormac, is just the time commitment that it takes because yeah. doing it at, during the day and then coming home and doing it in the evening or on the weekends uh is is a killer, I thought. For me, it was. I just couldn't do it all the time. And and to add complexity to that, I ended up breaking my hand doing some fabrication one day. And that was right in the middle of me tearing walls out of my house in the kitchen. And I had tore out, you know, appliances and stuff. And then I broke my hand. And I, I basically ended up making the project take like six months longer for a total of like living without a kitchen for a year and a half. And, and so like Neil, we were talking before the show and you're talking about some clients who you drove by and a year later, they still just have studs on this part of their house because they're doing it themselves. Right. And there, you get to the point where man, like if you're not cranking through this and trying to get it done as quickly as possible, which is what really good contractors do, right? <laughs> they they want to get in and out. Right. Because right. that maximizes right. profits. If you're doing it yourself, you get sick of it. Like you get totally sick of it and it gets really hard. And then you feel like you're so invested that you and, and maybe even prideful. Like I can't hire somebody to finish this now. Like I have to finish it. And uh, and man, it's, it's just a killer. It, it, it ends up like then getting partway done, like done enough <laughs> so that you don't actually have to finish it. And then it just sits there unfinished for so long. So all, all of these things are, are kinds of things I think to think about before you jump into such a, a project of huge scope on top of your day job. Right. So that's what I think is, is really makes it more complex and, and something like definitely worth kind of planning out. And I was going to, I was going to ask you, Neil, like, since your wife's an architect too, yeah, uh, did that, I mean, she kind of knew what, what you guys were getting into. I think, I think most people, you know, it could be either spouse could be the architect and the other one's not. And, and they're just kind of going along for the ride because they right. know that their spouse wants to, has always wanted to do this. I think, I mean, just speaking generally, most architects, like we've said, want to do this in some way or another. And I think, um, if, if you find a significant other that, that 
maybe has never thought that they, they you know they might play along and go along for the ride but then they could be in for like a really terrible ride <laughs> yeah um in my case you're right my wife's an architect so that did help um it it helped a lot i mean obviously she understands uh you know, contractors and dealing with uh, construction and all of this, uh, all, all of the related aspects. Um, but where it really helped was um, no one person can do everything, right? Um, and so um, even, the, you know, I would come by early in the morning before I went to, uh, to the office and check everything, you know, how's everything going? I mean, I, would, I came by here early in framing and uh, I drove by one morning and all of my windows looked like this. The sills looked too low. Uh, and I was like, boy, that just doesn't look right. And as it turned out, the framer didn't understand how this, you know, how it was. All of my windows are recessed. Um, and the, the exterior walls are two by six and the, uh, the windows are in two by four. Um, so that they're all recessed two inches. And uh, the headers above, the way it was framed, the uh, framer didn't understand the structural detailing and and screwed it up. Framed like two uh, exterior walls completely wrong, and I noticed it one morning. And we they had to tear it all down and redo it. Yeah, you know, I, I came out another time when uh, um, they had uh, the the balloon framed wall for uh, around my staircase uh, framed up, and I was like, um, guys, there's a window up there. And and his head just dropped. Like, really? I'm like, SOB. Yeah. I mean, aren't don't you don't you look no. at the damn the answer drawings? Is no. <laughs> yes, I know. I know that's the answer. Um and I go through this on almost every project I do and, and I go out into the field uh, on a construction project. But when it's your own home, um and you're right, the time involved uh, was tremendous. I mean, I worked full time uh, while this was going on. So I would come by early in the morning. I'd come by uh, after hours um, at night. And then what um, my wife really helped out on was um, doing a lot of the uh, tile and uh, color selections and things that uh, she she knew really well because of her experience working uh, on school projects and, and different um, uh, public projects where she, that's what she did. I mean, she did a lot of um, selection of, of materials and, and, and uh, things like that on those types of projects in addition to, you know, the, the rest of the building and such. But that was a big part of, uh, of her job. So she was able to do a, a lot of that on this project. And then, you know, we kind of worked back and forth. So she could do some of that and I was doing other stuff. And, and it really was a team effort. And, um, and a lot of effort. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, ultimately I don't know if it's each person has to, you know, make the call on their own, but it is, it is a major effort if you're going to go through with it. So what's your experience, Cormac? Mine's more on the, uh, um, renovation side of things. Um, you know, self-teaching myself how to lay tile and, you know, redo plumbing and, you know, redo electrical and, and, you know, jip and and everything else. Uh, mine was more that way. I had a buddy, and I just kind of shared with you guys a couple of links. But I had a buddy of mine down in Florida, um, an architect who was also a contractor, but he designed and built and fabricated and did every single piece. He 
um, designed and built, you know, this, this one house, uh, um, in Ruskin, Florida and every little bit and piece of it. And we'll, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Cause, uh, um, I want people to go and take a look at this. This is, this is what I was talking about and taking it to the insanity to the nth degree, because, yeah. you know, we're, we're all talking about how we've designed houses before, how we've done renovations of our own, how, you know, you've done some fabricating, Evan, this guy made everything in this house when, you know, so, um, if there was, uh, you know, these big soaring glue lambs that, you know, kind of form this arc that, yeah, that's um, a crazy arc. <laughs> he built those, the wide flange inside there. He took, he built that out of, you know, steel plates and built them because what he wanted to do is he wanted to fabricate within the mid span of the wide flange wanted to fabricate in some um, small little portals for his HVAC mm. and fabricated all that because he couldn't find it. He he knew exactly what he wanted to see, but he didn't, you know, there was nothing that you could buy off the shelf. So he fabricated it. He made all of the, I mean, it, it was amazing. The, it, it took him years, years. <laughs> um, I am not surprised. And it it was absolutely amazing the the house and he's he's on to the next project he, I mean that that's what he does he <laughs> says if he only does five projects in his lifetime right <laughs> it's going to be five projects that he's had a hand in every single nail that goes into that um, and knowing him <laughs> knowing him he probably fabricated the nails himself <laughs> um, yeah there's a picture of him uh, laying up the glue lambs here. It's in, in on he, a trailer. Yeah. And it's amazing that, you know, that he had built all of these glue lambs on his own. And, you know, it was just amazing. Um, I, I, we, we went there through, we would go and visit him on site. And he's, the, his, his name is Mike Calvino and he's just, he's an amazing guy. I mean, when I first met him, I met him, um, at an art show and, uh, Tampa Bay AIA was great at doing this, uh, this one thing called art by architects. And, you know, so we would display, you know, any artwork or whatever that we had, um, at the, uh, Tampa Bay AIA office. And it, and I, you know, he had, he, he would bring his furniture that he would make. And it was just this fantastic, beautifully detailed to like, you know, the nth degree of things. So, you know, I met him and, and we started talking. And so, you know, as we uh, became friends, I mean, you know, we'd go and visit him on site and, you know, he, he looked like the mad creator. He was, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like what you would expect, say, Nikola Tesla, um, you know, working in his uh, workshop and just, you know, had like the crazy eye because he was out there and he was just <laughs> going to town on this. And it was, uh, it was amazing what he would, what he would create. And um, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I can't, I mean, I love creating, I love drawing, and I love doing all of these things, but there's a level of insanity that I don't think that I would approach or, you know, get anywhere near. And he not only approached it, he went way, way over. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, the, the things that you, um, 
you know, the, the things that he pulls together are just absolutely in, insane because, you know, you're just like, wait, I didn't think stairs could do that. Yeah. Well, they did that yeah, it's because yeah. he took a year to figure out how to do it and then build it himself. Well, he, he, he figured out how to do it. And then a bunch of people told him he couldn't do it. Right. And then, and then he said, well, screw you. I'm going to do it myself. And that's how, and then he did it. And then he had one of those bankers who told him that, no, we are not going to, you know, finance you because, you know, it's going to take forever. And sure, it took forever, probably more so not because of the lack of um, him, um, uh, you know, doing the, all of the labor and everything else. It was more because every time he turned around, he was kind of getting a roadblock from, you know, financing and, and things like that. But it yeah. was a... Um, you know, we'll we'll have a link to that Ruskin house because it's it's something special. I mean, it it really is. I mean, whether it's your cup of tea design wise or not, I think just the beauty of what he was able to accomplish. What I mean, it, it's it's kind of like one of those crazy little hermits in the middle of like you know rural Florida, where all he's doing is like sitting there building, and then one day you see him emerge out of the woods, and you're like, well, what have you been doing for you know five years? And, and you go back there, and you're just like, oh my god, that's amazing. Well, just to kind of wrap up, I mean, I, I think remodeling or doing little projects around the house, I think it's all good because it gives you a bunch of experience into all the things that we've brought up, but whether it's having to think about all the different details or having to source things or having to, you know, there's so many aspects to what we do that we don't actually do that. It, it really does get you a little bit outside your comfort zone and it puts you into perhaps a different mindset to the way you might think about things. And I, I feel like that experience is invaluable when it actually oh, comes yeah. back to what we do and knowing how things go together you know, try welding, learn how to weld, learn how to use an angle grinder, learn how to use a table saw, like all these different things that you can, you don't have to own all the tools. You can rent the tools, you can borrow the tools, you can do whatever. But if you can build a deck or a shed or, you know, start small and work your way up, I think, I think all that stuff is, is crazy invaluable and not enough architects are actually making things with their hands. And, and I say on my website, you know, it's like my, my little tagline, like, uh, I work in an office, but I'd rather be outdoors. And if I really had to choose, I'd be working in my workshop because I love making stuff and building stuff. So I, I think that, you know, it's how I grew up working on my dad's house, building decks and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and I feel like that's, it's something everybody needs to dabble in at least, you know, you, you need to do that because it just helps you understand your craft even better. Right. I, I totally agree. I was, can't say it any better. It's cool stuff. I, 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 and I really like seeing the Ruskin house because it's, it's like, it's like looking at Bruce Goff's things or yes. Bart Prince's stuff where it's like, it's like, okay, there's a certain, you think a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. And then you see like how differently people can think about space and architecture and form. And, and I, I, I love seeing that stuff. I mean, it's not my aesthetic, but right. I can totally appreciate it. And oh, yeah. for them to have built it themselves with their own hands, even better. Like I could talk to that guy for weeks about that stuff. That'd be fun. As, as long as you were swinging a hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll put you to work. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to talk to me, you're going to work. <laughs> that seems like a, a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in that place. That's a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. That's, that's awesome. You were able to actually meet him and become friends with him. 
So it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing. Definitely check out the, the links we'll have in the show notes for that one. So first up, we want to talk real briefly here about RCAT. And are you tired of randomly searching the internet for building products? Would you like to have one place where you can find reliable building product information directly from the manufacturer? Then visit ArcCat at arcat.com. There, you can search the ArcCat libraries for architectural building products to find specifications, CAD details, BIM objects, and more free of charge with no registration required to download the content. ArcCat has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out ArcCat today at arcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. And thanks to ArcCat for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. Maybe if uh, my friend Mike would have had ArcCat, he wouldn't have had to build everything by hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe true. Maybe true. <laughs> so, Evan, you sent us a link to yes. some doctored photos. We wanted to, we wanted, why don't you explain this one uh, to us? So there was an article that I got emailed to me from somebody in my office, and it was on the Chicago Tribune website, and the title is Doctored Photo Raises Questions About Ethics in Architecture Contests. And uh, basically, the the idea here was, uh, I guess it's one of the winning entries, was this project called El Centro, which is a building along the Kennedy Expressway uh, in Northeastern Illinois University. And there's the photography that goes along with the entry. You look at the photo and it's like, okay, yeah, that's a that's a nice elevation. And, and we don't get to see all the pictures. We don't get to see all the entry. It's, it's just basically kind of cutting to the chase of of the issue here, which is basically, you know, the, the competitions for this type of thing are all, and I don't know if you guys have entered any of these. We, we kind of do all the time, I guess every year, at least Yeah. where you, you do a digital submission for these AIA awards, whether they're local or, or whatever regional. And so this, this building, you know, it's, it's striking, it's colorful and it's, it's definitely modern. And, and so it ended up winning and the architect was, is from Chicago. It's Juan Moreno. And basically what happened was, you know, and it's funny, they, they even, they even include some little snippets of things that the jurors said when they were judging. And, and so then it, it comes out after the, the competition that, well, that photo is doctored. That that's photoshopped, right? That's the word that everybody uses. And uh, because there there's another photo right below it, and and granted, these these pictures are from the freeway side. They're not from the campus side. And so one of the things that Cormac you you brought up was that <laughs> they maybe you can't even see what we're about to talk about here from the campus side, but you can definitely see it from the freeway side, which is where the photo is from. Right. And the, there's these giant tractor trailer size air handling units on the roof of this building, but in the submitted imagery, they're gone. And so I think it's it's interesting because, you know, the, the idea here is, is it ethical to to doctor photos like this, especially for, for an award, for something that's going to be, um, that could boost your career, that that's going to be a very public thing, potentially, that... It's going to gain you recognition in your field uh, if if it, if you're not actually just selling the truth of of the project. Whether the thing that you're taking out was was your fault or not, or maybe you know it just doesn't paint your building or your project in the best light, is it okay to Photoshop these images? And so, 
I thought it'd be fun to talk about this a little bit because I think in in today's day and age, it's it's pretty funny because you, you'll see every once in a while online, I'm, sh- I'm sure all the time, actually, um, like real photographers having the debate, was this image altered in any way? And And so are you doing it all in camera or are you doing it? a little bit in camera with a lot of post-processing? Are you doing just a little bit of post-processing? Are you just bumping the colors and the contrast? Or are you actually starting to go in with the clone tool and removing things or altering things so that it looks better than it does in reality? For my portfolio, we'll, we'll start off with uh, um, something that I did for my portfolio images of a project that I just recently completed. Um, and I doctored out the tractor trailer sized <laughs> area units on top of the uh on top of the building and your name is juan moreno yes <laughs> uh but um it uh you know it was just um the image that i was trying to you know shoot and all that other stuff i mean it was probably it wasn't to the extreme of what you know um what that particular uh, image was. And, you know, again, we'll have those in the show notes so you can kind of see what we're talking about, but um, it wasn't to that extreme. I mean, it was uh, you, the shot that I had, you had like maybe visually what you could see from the ground is like a, a four foot by two foot, like corner that kind of stuck out and broke, broke the plane of, you know, some other corners and other kind of uh, roof overhangs that, I was really trying to capture, and so it was just something that was in the way, and I wanted to, the image that I was trying to get was to accentuate the roof lines, and because I couldn't get into a, um, I, I couldn't get into the right spot to take the photo that I wanted, the photo that I got, I needed, I wanted to clean up, um, so it, you know, we, we can start with uh, my own personal experience of whether or not that was right or wrong. And uh, on that same shot, um, they just put the grass in and it hadn't, not all of it had taken. So there was some brown spots. So I took the clone tool and um, greened the grass. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, and, I've you know, added an entire landscape because the, the you know, this is, this is something that sucks about photographing a recently done, completed project, right? Yeah, is, yeah, is it? Like, it looks. It doesn't or, look or, good. The landscape. Or did you? Or did you Photoshop out the um, the wire um, like supports that are holding a tree um, upright before the roots take? You know, and did you like you know Photoshop those out or things like that? Yeah, signage and. And telephone wires and telephone poles and street lights and or that one person who walks into your shot when you're trying to get a person free shot. This happens all the time, right? And so I think what one thing that's interesting is that it's like, okay, so let's get to the bottom of this particular image. And uh the photographer is the one who edited the units out. Right. Um but then and then they asked him, Well, did you decide to do that? And, and he says, well, talk to Moreno. And then Moreno says, the truth is, I never tell an artist what to do. It's their work. And so so they're both pointing the, the finger at each other. 
Nice. So neither one of them is taking responsibility for, yeah, I decided to do this. Um, and I don't know if it even matters who did it at, at that point, because you're, the architect is hiring the photographer to represent them with, with this imagery. It's, it's ultimately going to be the, the architect's responsibility, I think. But, but, but it's funny that, that they're both like, well, I did, I, yeah, I did it, but I didn't, I didn't realize it was gonna, or whatever. I just think it's, it's pretty ridiculous that no one's manning up to, to actually being the responsible person here. Well, I'm curious. I mean, so you, you kind of pose it as an, an ethical question, you know, and I, that's how the whole article is posed. Right. And, and I kind of, you know, admitted that I've done the same thing and you just admitted that you've kind of done the same thing. Well, when that, when that, when that, that strobe light, for the fire alarm is right in the middle of the wall in the lobby. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. we didn't coordinate the drawings, right? <laughs> what do you or do? Even if you did, and unfortunately, because code, it just says that, you know, it's because be the distance between your uh, strobes are X feet and you, you know, and unfortunately, it just happens to be right in one of your, the areas of accent, you know, that you want some feature wall or whatever. And it, unfortunately, it's there. Yeah. Well, you know what? In post-production, it won't be. Well, and I think we, we have the tools that give the ability to do these things rather easily. I mean, sometimes it's not easy and sometimes it is. But but really, like, we have the ability to do stuff like this on our phones in our pockets. Oh, yeah. And so when when it's so accessible, it's it's not even, like, something that many people think about. They're like, yeah, I mean, you apply filters when you post your pictures to Instagram or you it's, it's, it's becoming like that ubiquitous, right? It's, it's almost funny that you say, you know, that we apply filters because, you know, now there's this weird little badge of honor where people hashtag, you know, no, filter. no filters, no filters. <laughs> you know, it's just like, really dude. I mean, maybe I've you should have before. <laughs> oh, I've seen, I've seen yours where you post no filters and I don't necessarily, I wasn't actually, you know, meaning you per se. No, I know. I know. Um, I, well, I, th- I think you do that a lot when you're posting pictures of a really nice sunset or something like that. Right. And right. it's just like, oh, look at these beautiful colors, you know. And yes, this is what those colors look like. There are no filters, you know. Right. And I don't think that that's, you know, y- your intent is, is that, you know, people are going to call you out on, ooh, you, uh, you used a filter to make it look that good. It's like, no, it really did look that good. Um but then there's you know so so does the the ethical question come into play when you're either a representing it for an award or b representing it as um you know a way to earn money or to you know earn a prize or something like that is that is is that the difference between that and you know or or is there a difference I, that's a, that's the question I think is, yeah, what, is it worse because this was for an award? I mean, every single image in every magazine or everything is edited. Everything. It's in movies. It's, it's everything. Everything is altered. Uh, we do not live in a world where things are not altered. The only time they're not altered is when you're there in person. And, and I guess that's another point in this article is that these awards, you know, People don't have the money or the time to go and see these places in person, which is like a huge letdown to me. Um, it's a shame because architecture is meant to be experienced. Like, how is it any different f- thumbing through an award submittal than it is thumbing through Arc Daily? Right. 
I mean, it's it's no different, and it's not satisfying, and it's not experiential. I mean, it's just looking at pictures. And if they're all doctored, I mean, if you were just assuming that they're all doctored, I don't I don't see why it makes any bit of difference. So if you're not going to go there and experience it yourself, then then it's funny because because at the end of the it's like okay, so what do we do? Do we take the award away? <laughs> and everyone's like. I'm not going to take it away from him, right? I'm not I'm not going to do that. It's because everybody's doctored these images somewhat, I think. I was going to say, I mean, you know, is there do you think that there isn't one person who put, you know, put their, you know, entered in their submission that didn't have some form of post-production even if even if it's a a bump of the color or, you know, a change in the contrast or something like that. I mean, they are going to, you know, do something to kind of just give it that little extra something that, you know, makes it stand out from just a regular snapshot. They yeah. want it to be a photograph, not a snapshot. Yeah, there is a difference. All right, let's take a moment to talk about the Architecture Business Plan Competition, who is the next sponsor on our show. Free registration for the 2016 Architecture Business Plan Competition is open through January 29th. Begin your planning process now and enter for a chance to win the grand prize of $10,000. And that is no joke. Five finalists will be flown to Philadelphia to present their full plans to four industry-leading jurors. Travel and lodging are provided. Again, that is pretty cool. This is a -a one-of-a-kind competition. It's open to all licensed architects in the United States and Canada who are planning to start a new firm within one year or if you currently own a firm that's less than 10 years old. Visit arcbusinessplan.com. That's A-R-C-H businessplan.com to learn more. And thanks to the Architecture Business Plan Competition for helping make this show possible. There's something uh, in that article that I want to kind of I'm going to read this uh, this short couple of little paragraphs here because I think it it goes to um, I think it it helps maybe not answer the ethics question, but but I think it it changes the perception of what we're asking a little bit. And and um, from the article, it says one of the most famous examples is uh, Chicago photographer uh, Bill Hedrich Hedrich's. Uh, 1937 shot of Frank Lloyd White writes uh, Falling Waterhouse in Western Pennsylvania employs a close in angle and uh, other techniques to accentuate how the house is cantilevered balconies historically soar over the tumbling stream. And then uh, this uh, gentleman, John Miller, who is the president of Chicago's Hedrich uh, Blessing photographer, says he decided to use a slightly wide angle lens for that shot. He moved in under the building that used this, that used this lens to make that perspective very strong. It's an honest representation, but it's dramatic. Your eyes will never see it that way. He okay, says, yeah. So wait, let- the last part is the most important. You're interpreting the architecture, not just recording it. And I think that's really important here is the photographer is interpreting the architecture. Is that ethically wrong to do that? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Now, now here, let me, <laughs> let me give you a little personal experience about that particular image of falling water and my experience of falling water mm-hmm. is I've always had that idealized image of falling water in my head. Yeah. Right. I know that image well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went there, I was sort of disappointed 
because <laughs> you never it, see that, right? di- it didn't soar like that. It you got to bring your own wide angle lens. Yeah, I didn't. I there was there is nowhere on site that you can let's just say legally go right. <laughs> that can ever get you to that perspective to look at the building like that. And and I was honestly. I was expecting some huge dramatic cantilevers and and things like that and and it's a beautiful building and it's fantastic. So you're saying it it raised your expectation beyond reality. I was I exactly. Yeah. I was expecting something more and it didn't quite get it. It's the same thing with these images we're looking at right here. I mean and, and one of the jurors they they asked and said should the award be taken away and, and he basically declined to say whether it should be but he said well it would have altered the lens through which we viewed the project. And I think, personally, if I were to go visit this building, and I only had seen this photograph first, and then I went there, and I saw the railroad of trains up on the roof, (laughs) I would have been like, what the hell? Like, did they add those after? (laughs) Exactly. Now, now there is a... uh, um, I I did bring this up kind of pre-show, and it's just a complete side question. And it's if you're going to go through that kind of articulation of the, um, you know, the exterior facade, and and it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, um, design. I mean, I really kind of like it. And why why didn't he design some kind of screening that might have actually even been kind of a a continuation of these um, vertical finning and stuff like that that would have really kind of yeah, um, and and we only we only budget we cuts. don't we don't know yeah, the whole story exactly. Yeah, I, you know <laughs> that got value VE. engineering mechanical screen just just blocks the airflow. We don't need that. Yeah, get that out of here. I, I can tell you how many times I've had mechanical screens um, value engineered out of a project, and it just hurts yeah. every time because then you get that then you get that Moreno uh, building. And he's probably like, I had a screen there. They value engineered it out. You guys need to shut up. <laughs> yeah, we don't know the whole story, I'm sure. Uh, and and this just goes, always design your parapets as high as your mechanical units. <laughs> you can't when it's like an 18-foot high uh, cooling tower on top. Right. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of parapet. Yeah. Trust me, I, I'm no. going through that right this second with yeah, a me too. maybe not this second but on my current project we've got a uh, 18 foot high cooling tower on top of the building that we have thankfully because of you know perspectives and sight lines and stuff a 14 foot mechanical screen is going to uh block out all views yeah i've got 13 feet <laughs> on mine <laughs> and i've got somebody saying we will not have mechanical screens and i'm like i don't want to see the shanty town on the roof of this building Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, oh, thankfully, the, the one project that I, you know, admitted to doctoring up a little in my photos, thankfully, the city of Annapolis demanded, even though the, um, it was a public school building uh, being built in historic downtown Annapolis, and they've got their own rules and regulations. And even though they do allow modern buildings, um, you know, they've got to conform to a certain um, visual aesthetic, uh, not not in style, but, you know, like they don't want to see mechanical equipment. Um, it was interesting, that, you know, so basically they, they fought to keep um, all of the mechanical screening even when the actual client wanted to value engineer it out. And so that was one time that I got to win, and it was based off of uh, 
um, <laughs> is based off of uh, the rules and regulations of the city. But uh, what was interesting is that, you know, how they've, what extreme they go through for um, making sure mechanical equipment is not uh, not seen is yeah. there was a building that they had a mechanical pit and um, they designed, you know, they designed it. It so sounds that, like something that eats people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sort of did it, it, because there was uh, several lawsuits on this after a while. So it was eating people in the, in the figurative sense. But um, so they designed all of the mechanical equipment to basically be flush with the top of this pit, you know, and not project out. Mm-hmm. Well, through um, through the contractor getting a better deal on a different piece of mechanical equipment, the mechanical um, unit that went down in there was one foot higher than the lip of the mechanical pit. And if you were, like, say, you know, a couple blocks down the road and you looked up the up the building and this is this was your look up the street and this was a historic you know this is one of the most historic streets in not only the city of annapolis but in the country and you could see one foot so in perspective you're really only maybe seeing like an inch um in your visual perspective of it sticking up but you could see it sticking up they basically sued the contract, the city sued the contractor and the designer and everybody else. And, you know, there was all sorts of craziness. And anytime we asked the con one contractor or one engineer, if they'd like to come work on this Annapolis project, they're like, no, no, we'll never, never work there again because of the, (laughs) just the nightmare that they went through. But so what ended up happening is they, pulled the mechanical unit out. The manufacturer came and basically redesigned the enclosure to be a smaller enclosure and more or less redesigned the entire unit. When they dropped it back in there, it was, uh, you know, an inch below the lid. <laughs> Couldn't see it. <laughs> but so, but not a cheap fix, but not a cheap fix. Jeez. Now, if, if at the end of the day, what the, what, um, people who were marketing, uh, maybe tourism in Annapolis or whatever it was could have used Photoshop and doctored them out of, out of <laughs> for a picture. lot less money for a lot less money <laughs> and a lot less heartache. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I mean, what do you guys think about the, the credibility aspect of this? So does, does something like this, you know, if it gets press or do you think it, it, it hurts the credibility of the architect or of the AIA. I mean, they're the ones giving the award. Does it make them look bad? And it wasn't even their fault. I don't. I mean, it's it's kind of a, you know, it's a, yeah, I don't want to, not quite a double-edged sword. But well, this is not, there's truth in advertising here, right? I mean, they're getting swindled. True. The AIA is getting, the, the jury was getting swindled. It's It's like the Volkswagen debacle. I would say that the jury and the award is getting swindled because the, and, and that's where I was saying where the ethical problem, you know, sort of runs into is if, if you are making money or if you are garnering awards and stuff off of falsifying documents, then there, there's something wrong there that you, know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't gain recognition for false advertisement. So do you think it should be taken away? Yeah. 
I do. I, I, yeah, I honestly, I, I do. It, it's egregious enough. I mean, the, t- to me, you know, that you've got to, you, you have to take a stand here and you have to basically set. It's not like, well, we'll change the rules next time. <laughs> it's right. like the damage is done. Sorry, we're going to, we're going to make a spectacle out of you because you're the one who did this. Spectacle's the wrong word. Example. We always hit, we always learn from our mistakes and, you know, it kind of goes back to our first first part of the conversation about you know designing your own home and the the, <laughs> the value and the beauty of um you know doing it either yourself or designing it yourself or building it yourself and all of the valuable tools you know the valuable experience you gain from uh from all of that and in this particular case it's kind of like the handrail thing it's like you know the reason why we put a handrail here is because people you know even though you can clearly see that there's a falling hazard People need the handrail there to so they don't fall over, and it's kind of the same thing. It's just like, well, you know, we we did allow, we did give an award to somebody who doctored their photos and kind of bamboozled us into thinking that it was it looked like this when it really looks like this. I, I don't. I think that the example should be made. Where I was going with it is, I think that the example should be made is is taking the award away and say, look, we're just not going to accept this yeah, because right. at the end of the day where mine were for my own personal use because i wasn't i've never used them i I did say i used it was for my portfolio but it really was it was never used in my portfolio it was just it was more for me than anything else um that you if you're not going to represent it you shouldn't be winning if you're not going to represent it truthfully then you shouldn't get an award for it yeah and i think there is a lot of value in photographers being able to do some magic with the camera that oh, doesn't yeah. have to be digitally manipulated and that's why that's why firms should not do but should hire professional photographers to take pictures of their buildings because just because we're architects with a, a camera doesn't mean we're a photographer. And yeah. even if you think you are a photographer, there are people out there who are trained and experienced who can just bring magic. I mean, um, Tim Hursley is, you know, has taken practically every photograph of the rural studio that's ever been published. And he can make the rural studios pictures sing. I mean, they're just absolutely gorgeous pictures. Yeah, there's something magical about that. Yeah. And, and it's because he knows what he's doing. He sits there and he waits for the light. I mean, he, it's, it's a exercise in patience. Like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch this building for a couple of days and I'm going to see what the light does. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait for the, for sunset and I'm going to see what, you know, how the lights look on and, and how they don't look on. And then I'm going to take some photographs and then I'm going to, you know, look at it and then I'm going to take some more to kind of really kind of make it pop. But these are people who work to make this picture just really seeing it's art. That's it's like I said, it's the difference between photography and a snapshot, you know, where we're taking a snapshot there. It's, it's art and you know, why not sell it that way? Yeah. Although again, truth in advertising, we'll probably never see um, the building exactly the same way as, you know, like say Tim would do when he's taking a photograph of something because he's got the patience to sit there and just kind of capture that moment, that one moment, that second, that everything aligned. And 
yeah, we're never really there to to kind of achieve that. Right. You're not even going to experience it that way. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of times in photographs where we kind of nitpick these little tiny details that <laughs> that most people don't even notice. So, like people. Yeah. <laughs> Like fire alarms, yeah. <laughs> my kids couldn't quote my quote of like, you know, if I wanted pick, if I wanted people in my pictures, I would have designed them in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah. See, every time they see my camera start moving up, you know, like if I'm like carrying it in my hand, and if they see it move up to take a picture, they all stop and they're standing behind me and they stop and let me just do my thing, and then they, you know, and they're like, all right, go ahead, you know. <laughs> you trained them well they're they're awesome yeah my kids need that training get out of the way and they walk right in to the middle i think that there's a line that you can cross when you're interpreting architecture with a photograph and i think in this particular case on this building we're discussing tonight i think they crossed that line by taking out those air handlers but i think there's um you know if, if you if you're just removing a you know a fire alarm or something maybe that's okay that's not a big deal breaker. So I we think, need to we need to create a list of what's okay and what's yeah. not okay. I, I well, think that I think, I think that you list just is, know by your own it, gut. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was going to say it's a gut feeling. Is that too far or not or or not? And you I guys, think you're missing I think the it point. Ultimately, comes to that that we need the art the Archispeak guide to architectural photography there you and go. ethics in photography. Ooh, can we do a coffee table book? For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do this. Don't that. do this. Yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. So back to the whole point of it. It's just, you know, I'm going to reiterate the point of like, you know, and because you you said it really well, Evan, and it's here's a guy who misrepresented. In in what guy? Whatever guy. You know, I'm not going to point fingers at one. <laughs> the guy other, who won the award. That's the, it. Okay, so yes, the guy who knowingly submitted the award. You know, the photographs for the award that knew he was misrepresenting his building because I've submitted for a war that I I didn't earn, or I mean not earn, didn't win because I did, I went in there with probably either substandard photos or maybe it was just something like, Oh look, there's a big, huge air handler on here. And, and he didn't screen it. Whereas like this guy right here, he screened his and made it part of the architecture. And, you know, so, I mean, it, misrepresenting it like that could really have taken the award away from somebody else who was probably more deserving because they represented their building as it's seen, as you can go and visit it and stare at it versus this guy who idealized what he wanted it to be before the mechanical engineer decided, yeah, we want to cool the building. And oh, by the way, to cool the building, it's not just to see, (laughs) we decided that there's going to be these big, huge, tractor trailers on top and you know because that could be a a conversation all in its own and it's designing because we talked about designing with within constraints and celebrate the air handlers exactly you're (laughs) they're gonna be there a big huge cooling tower it's you know for a building like that it's gonna be there so do something with it. yeah it's not like they just threw those in at the last minute all right i think we beat this one up ah yeah we win (laughs) (laughs) all right well before we go uh, i want to give a big shout out to our sponsors arcat Uh, visit them at arcat.com and also 
our new sponsor, the Architecture Business Plan Competition. So thanks to uh, both of them for sponsoring. And if you have any questions or comments, visit the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. And you can also follow us along uh, on Twitter and on our Facebook page as well. And then if you um, would like to be on the show, we're going to actually be wrapping up our season three here. And uh, if you've got something you'd like to share about the show, uh, what it means to you, feel free to call in to our uh, ArcaSpeak podcast line at 415-484-8496 and uh, leave us a message there and uh, let us know what you think about the show. And uh, Maybe we'll uh, we'll get that included in our uh, in our uh, season finale. Yeah, and just like uh, today's show, where we started the show off by responding to some some comments. If you have ideas for things, topics that you'd like us to address, or things that maybe are been bugging you about the show, and you'd like to kind of say, hey, you know, maybe you can talk about this or that. You know, let us know. Send us a line. You know, make a comment on the website or the Facebook. Uh, the Facebook. <laughs> yes. Awesome. But uh, um, showing your just, age you know, there. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> just let us know because we you know we'd like to um, you know we want to keep it fresh. We want to keep it contemporary to what the issues that are going on today that are troubling everybody else across the profession. And uh, so if you've got any ideas, let us know. We watch the Twitter, too. (laughs) The Twitter. Yep. All right, everyone. Thanks for uh, listening, and uh, make sure you stay subscribed. Good night. Good night. Good night.
Thank you.